Sorry, what did I miss? Everything. Anglophies. Gettle's gone. Alina, are you fake texting? It's super important. <laughs> oh, I might as well just growl, that'd be about it. I have failed the sisterhood. I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. We're not getting judged. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of Anglophies. A very sneezy, sniffly, sleepy episode. <laughs> we <laughs> Right on cue there, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Come rain or shine, whether it's midnight or 8 p.m. in the evening, sick or healthy, we're going to record the show for you people. That's how much we love you. That's right. And we're sorry that that this is late, later than usual, but we wanted to wait until a certain show aired, and it took them forever. Thanks a lot, Fox. And there wasn't a preview pilot put up on Amazon. Thanks a lot, Amazon. So you can blame them. But we're here to give give the people what they want. And then Kaylee threw out her headset. No, my mum threw out my headset. I would like to make that explicitly clear. In the literally 50 bags of rubbish we removed out of my bedroom. I'm not even kidding. I'm quite embarrassed about that. My mum threw out my headphones. Thanks, Kaylee's oh. mom. <laughs> Thank you, mom. So it's currently 1.30 in the morning and I'm trying to do this as quietly as I can because my parents are in bed. <laughs> so this is the... Uh... The fall TV season, and we've we now have basically the full crop of uh, new fall shows to chat about. We've been actually dying to talk about it. Uh, we weren't sure where to start. Now we 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 have what do we have to choose? We have vampires and headless horsemen and uh, robots and, and robots and more serial killers. And I feel like there's a show I'm forgetting about. I know, there's the... one I keep watching and I keep forgetting about it. I don't no. know this. I'm sure we'll remember eventually. <laughs> so. And we also have, over on this side of the pond, we have French murders and terrible, terrible Russians. So <laughs> I have something that will annoy all the Russians that listen to us, because I know there are at least two. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a... Uh... Um, actually, interesting stuff going on in Canadian TV that I'll mention as well. So, you know, lots of good things. And on the internet, the, the new frontier. Um, so, do, where do we want to start? Sleepy Hollow or Dracula? Let's start with Dracula. <laughs> so Trepidation I was, there. I was listening to... Uh, this was... I, I'm pretty sure it was episode four was our award season, the first time Cleo Linda was on the show. And that's uh, when we talked about Hannibal with trepidation. And then obviously she came on again last episode and we were saying how, you know, it really did work out. And and I remember making that comment that, you know, you're afraid of Dracula, but maybe it'll work out the same way Hannibal did. <laughs> I mean, it's not quite uh-huh. the same way Hannibal did, but it it's not a crash and burn either. It's not a crash and burn. It's it's, it's pretty cracky, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, if nothing else, you cannot say that this show is treading the same ground that other Dracula adaptations have. It's yeah. clearly got its own vision. It's a touch trippy. But I, I, I generally quite like it. But there are moments where I watch and think, oh, the potential that they could have gone for here. It's feeling a little bit like they're mm-hmm. misfiring once or twice. Yeah. It's not... And- yeah. At the, at the height of what it could be, but 
you know, like they really are, this is not so bad it's good because they don't realize they're bad. This is the very deliberate camp. Oh yeah, this is a show that knows that there are certain areas to go with and primarily the subplot with Mina and Lucy, which is possibly the most homoerotic thing on TV right now. And there's a lot of competition in that area. (laughs) But it's also... I mean, I'm glad that they're taking a new direction, but it is weirdly invested in like their secret Freemason society business subplot proto-Nikola Tesla thing, which I admire more than I like. <laughs> I wish they hadn't mentioned that Tesla exists in this universe and that he was just the vampire Tesla, because I quite like the idea of Thomas Edison turning up as a villain, with like, mm-hmm. like in the film The Prestige, where he's got spies swarming around Tesla's camp. I wanted that, but with vampires. <laughs> <laughs> I remember reading before it premiered a quote from one of the either the create, writer or producer who was saying how this this was never meant to be, you know real Victorian society. They very deliberately wanted to be a kind of steampunk fairy tale society. Really? You can't tell. <laughs> so um, I want to talk and there's been comments, you know, if you, I've been following the conversations of Twitter about um, how well they achieved the kind of historical accuracy of the Victorian parts of it that they do keep. And some people aren't entirely convinced that the misses they have are deliberate, whereas I'm going to go ahead and say that in terms of historical accuracy, the misses the, you know, the misses they have are quite deliberate I, because the hits they have are so minute and meticulously researched. Yeah. It feels like a miss me, considering the, the trippy sort of feel that they're going for, it, it's consistent for them to be deliberately making those misses. Like things like the costumes, which are absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. But are gorgeous, not... but so. 1950s? Anywhere from 1920s I... to 50s. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're so colourful as well, which is what I like. There's this sort of temptation to do a period piece of that era and just have everyone wearing the same sort of stayed dull clothing. I love the fact that Lucy walks around in shocking pink and looks mm-hmm. fabulous. Katie McGrath is beautiful. Oh, um, it's true. I'll, I'll go ahead and plug Cleo Linda's recaps now, but she's condemned herself to recap the show. And, and one, follow her Tumblr, dedicate. Is it the London Inquisitor? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think it is. The yeah, London Inquisitor. The oh, of, that, that's brilliant. The steampunk we'll, Victoriana. We'll, we'll link to both of those. Um, but what she does in her recaps is she does the research. Yeah. Sorry, I just want to mention. I know when she does research purposes, she means it in the real way. Sorry, Raiden. I, I have <laughs> noticed that. I definitely enjoy the show more when I make it appointment TV viewing so I can join in on the the Twitter conversation, which is something we talked about last month with Cleo, that Twitter has sort of revitalized the concept of appointment TV. And the, the one episode that I was not home for because I went to go see Thor, which was definitely a fine use of my time. (laughs) Um, But I didn't watch it with everyone else and while snarking with everyone else was a less enjoyable episode. And I don't think it's because the episode itself was objectively any better or worse. I I don't don't quite have that luxury because I'm on a different time. We get it. On the, we get the episode the following Thursday, which is actually pretty decent for a 
British network. My version of appointment TV is, can I watch it with my mum and can my mother say really funny things during it that I can tweet? (laughs) So that's my Twitter appointment television because my mum really likes vampire stuff and she really likes Dracula. So this is the one show she got very excited for. She actually stopped me in the middle of a conversation to say, I really want to watch that, which is a pretty big surprise. So (laughs) she's not entirely with it, but I enjoy the fact that she's quite confused by it. (laughs) And I do enjoy seeing what your mum has to say. (laughs) So you can tell her that she has at least one fan. I enjoy the fact that my parents kind of have Twitter fans, but I don't entirely know if they know that. (laughs) Um. So for those who, um, we've been talking kind of for the benefit of those who also watch the show, but I, I want to go into a little detail for those who maybe were waiting for somebody to say, check it out or don't about how it's done. This isn't, so for for fans of the book who are waiting for an adaptation of the book, I wouldn't say this is it. This, this is not that. This is not this that. Is so not that. <laughs> they use character names and like place names and that's kind of it. Uh, granted, we you know maybe they'll start going more by the book later on in the seasons. Maybe they kind of reserve the right to just pick and pull what they want. But so far, it's it's pretty much its own thing. Uh, I really enjoy their rendition of Renfield. I love him. Renfield um, is everyone's hold up, favorite. Hold up a second. Okay, guys. I don't feel like this actually needs to be said, but somebody is going to be pissed off. So, spoiler warning. We're going to be talking about all of these shows as of, the hell is the date? November 26th, 2013, stuff that has aired up till now. So if you don't want to know about it, maybe you should listen to another episode. We have 13 more excellent ones you can choose from. (laughs) Exactly. And episode 15 won't be coming out that much later after this yeah. one, so. <laughs> okay. You're right, Raiden. Sorry. You're right. Big spoiler. So starting here. So Renfield in here, rather than being the asylum patient, is a butler. Um, they've cast a black actor. And who you may remember from Game of Thrones and a number of other things that I... Hey, it's that guy. <laughs> It's non so nosy. Yeah. And he's great. He's yes. awesome. He has one of the best wardrobes of the I like his outerwear, that burgundy how and the gloves. Oh, it was fabulous. I loved it. <laughs> he's got some of the more accurate stuff, I think. hmm But I kinda of, what I like about it is that it's they didn't just cast him and decide to be race blind. They had an episode where it was kind of addressed in universe. Um, you know that there is kind of in universe racism, and honestly, that was one of my favorite scenes. When he, not the, even the scene, the post scene where he turns to the show version of Jonathan Harker and goes, "Don't you ever presume to defend me?" Mm-hmm. I cheered at my screen in that moment. I don't know why. I just thought it was also well done. I would happily just watch a show that was the Mina Lucy lesbian vampire happy hour with Renfield occasionally appearing. <laughs> <laughs> There's that. They take all the subtext of you know, romantic love between Lucy and Mina, or at least from Lucy to Mina, and they make it canonical text in this TV show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Poor I will Lucy. Say, I, I gave the show a lot of credit because two episodes in, you have LGBTQ characters and you have characters of colour. However, 
I feel the show kind of mishandled that later on. I don't want to spoil it, but it does buy into a lot of what you will read as tropes. I mean, it really is. Yeah. It was disappointing. I very, was. I really was. I don't, maybe not spoil it too much, but I will say like when it comes to the, that, the, okay, everybody hates the word, but the problematic bits is when it comes to Asian characters. And I'm going to say that this is going to be a theme we'll come back to throughout a lot of the shows we discuss. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I want to talk about it. So, you know, it's it's weird. It's almost like or in the TV can only figure out how to handle it one race at a time. Okay, we can now write strong people of color, but by that we mean black Americans. But when we write mm-hmm. Asians, we slide right back in. Yeah. Or it's similar with like when we write the Roma people, right? Like there's a lot of figuring out still left to go and so it has Renfield and then the show had the you know your stereotypical opium den mm-hmm. and the you know the seers I guess this kind of you know which are who are addicted to opium and all smoked up and there's all these the mysterious orient and it didn't really go any further than that beyond the tropes because mm-hmm. when they set those characters up I was thinking oh this could go somewhere really potentially quite interesting the dynamic between the hunters and the hunted and then they kind of just decide no back to this and that's what i mean by the show having this great potential that i'm still enjoying but there are moments where you can see the misfires and it just kind of makes it all the more disappointing oh but um while we're kind of on the subject of shows and demographics i will say this if you think about it the show does have a lot of female characters i like female characters yeah. We have from obviously Mina's, but you know Lucy is interesting in her relationship with Mina. Those are interesting in their own right, and of mm-hmm. course we have Lady Jane who has the most fabulous dresses. Oh, from episode one she had that red day dress. <laughs> the costume right. is really where we all love it. Yeah. Oh, her costumes are so much fun. Even if, like, I I feel like Cleo is right in that standards and practices has it measured to the millimeter exactly how much boobs she can show. (laughs) Pretty much. Because it's pretty much all the, like, how how they haven't had a nip slip on air yet, I don't know. Tape. Tape. CGI. Something. We have ever seen plenty of Jonathan Rhys Myers, for which I'm eternally grateful. Oh, yes. This is an example of how to cast your actor who could possibly also be a serial killer. <laughs> I like Jonathan yes. Rhys-Myers, but he does look like he's going to kill you in your sleep. Perfect for Dracula. Generally, yeah. In and... a sexy way, of course. <laughs> Very sexily. <laughs> <clears throat> and and let's... Let's address the accent issue. <laughs> oh my god, this is my favorite thing. As American as bourbon. <laughs> yeah. I, he's... I, I think that the, the horribleness of the accent has to be deliberate. See, this because... is why I'm hoping they'll set up the joke that Quincy Morris, the American from the book, will turn up and ask him, so, where did you say you were from again? And just have right. it cut to, like, side-eyeing Renfield with, I don't believe this guy, what are you two going on about? Wasn't Quincy specifically from Texas in the book? Or am I just making that up? I believe he is in the film, at least, the, the Francis Ford Coppola one. See, I haven't Should actually have seen it. the film. So <gasps> I'm going oh, by the oh, book. so good. You have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen the film in forever. 
if you thought right. the TV series was trippy. So you know what? I might have yeah. I might have seen. It's been so long. I don't know if I've seen the whole of it or just bits of it. I just know it has been ages. I I just remember that there is a truly ridiculous amount of fake blood used. <laughs> we need to find an excuse to watch that for a future episode of some kind because it is really one of those experiences where you watch it and think, well, he did that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also one of my mum's favourite movies, so I would like to watch it with her again. <laughs> Speaking of blood, the anyway, show so no, no, no. Let's go back to the accent. Let's go back okay. to the accent. <laughs> I, I need to present my case that I think it's deliberate in that he is a 400-year-old Transylvanian who has been dug up and revived, and he's going, okay, I don't actually know what an American accent really sounds like, but I'm banking on the fact that 98% of these Londoners are going to buy it. <laughs> I hope that's what it is. And the fact that he weirdly sounds like Christian Slater. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> right? Right? He does! It's like a veil has been lifted. Right? <laughs> that is and, yeah. And I mentioned that on Twitter one night and a whole bunch of people went oh my god. <laughs> So I, I kind of wish he'd just kept his Irish accent. Yeah. I mean, because you could have just said it was a nod to Bram Stoker. Sure. And then just have Katie McGrath keep her accent and just, you know, Irish the hell out of it. I would have watched the yeah. hell out of that show. Yeah, Katie McGrath actually has a very, um, I heard it referred to as the Dublin lilt. I don't know enough about um, Irish accents to, you know, really comment. But I have seen comments when she she's more well-known for Merlin, uh, that apparently some viewers, I don't know if they were English or, or American viewers, complained that her accent was like exaggerated fantasy world and why do we need this? Because they didn't know it was an actual Irish. <laughs> because she actually had her natural mm-hmm. Irish speech in, in Merlin. <laughs> Which was very peculiar, I will say that, and, and quite enchanting on her. I think she's very strong in the show. I actually think overall it's very well cast. Mm-hmm. In terms of, I mean, Jonathan Rhys-Meyers at some point, I love Nonso Anozzi, I like uh, Jessica Dugau and Katie McGrath, I think they have great chemistry together. Thomas Kretschmann is Van Helsing. The angle they're taking with Van Helsing in this show is very left field, but I'm I'm on board for it. I just want to see how far they go with it. Mm-hmm. I, can, and it's, I can see the book purists are a little bit disturbed by the whole Van Helsing thing, it seems to me. How can you be a book purist for Dracula? It's like being a book purist for Sherlock Holmes. Well, <laughs> and yet people manage. And yet, oh, oh bless. <laughs> so, basically, our verdict for Dracula is: it's good, can't be fun. It is. Fun. There's a lot of crazy sauce involved. You just kind of have to go with it. it it's, and it's the on kind the of Friday show. night death slot. So. <laughs> Yeah, if you but... think of it as more in tone with the Francis Ford Coppola film than say, you know, well, you could, I couldn't say Todd Browning's one because that's really camp by our standards. But at heart, I think there is a lot of camp in the very concept of Dracula anyway, and this one goes with it, and it's created this trippy, anachronistic, gorgeous show to watch. It doesn't always hit, but when it does hit, I'm I'm with it. Mm-hmm. And you know what I like is that, and I don't remember if this quote was for Jonathan Rhys Meyers or one of the writers, because, but I think it's from Jonathan Rhys Meyers where he's talking about how Dracula is not meant to be the hero; he really is meant to be the bad guy here. 
Um, He might be the sexy vampire, but he's not meant to be the happily ever after hero of the story. And I think the show is really getting to the point where, yeah, like, you know, there's only so much you can do to redeem these characters. I'm glad for that, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Me too. I think it's a much more interesting approach. See, you can have your your man be topless and still be a bastard. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) And sometimes you pull off some pretty amazing Batman gambits, like what he did with Lady Jane in the last episode. He he doesn't mess about. He is literally in there. Yeah. Oh, Sorry. here's yeah. something we should mention because you know, Kaylee, you being in the K, did you know you get? Well, you know, if you read Cleo's recaps, you get widely different versions of the episodes than we do in some cases. Apparently, yes, this. I heard this, but I, 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 would, I would love to make a proper comparison because I know mm-hmm. that um, so the show we. is partially funded by Britain as well or British companies because I know the makers of Downton. It's advertised in Britain as being from the makers of Downton Abbey. <laughs> so. Yeah, we have, we have a channel now called Sky Living where we get Hannibal and Elementary and Dracula and the Blacklist and basically all the big American. It's a lot of murder on one channel. That's because it's the best channel ever. It's ironically called Sky Living. <laughs> it's basically all I watch. What I'm worried about now is kind of the sad um, reports coming in about Jonathan Rhys Myers' substance abuse problems and the possible problems they're causing on set, or rather mm-hmm. to like delays yeah. in filming, which is... <sighs> he talk- He was on Jonathan Ross' chat show here recently, and he talked about how he was clean, but what the deal happened was with filming was they withheld his entire pay package until he finished filming, which I understand, but I also think that's hugely irresponsible because it's basically saying, you can do whatever the hell you want once we've got our use out of you. Yeah. But they did he's, provide a companion. Talent. Did he have his own Joan Watson? I think he did. That's that's the funny part. I didn't even realize that yeah. was a real thing until I read the article, but <laughs> apparently one of the things is, I think he fairly recently did a, a stint in rehab uh, just before filming started and on the set. And I mean, considering that Dracula has to drink a lot of bourbon, however he pronounces it, maybe that was the least fair thing he, they could do is they provided a sober companion for him on set. So. I wish him all the best because he's immensely talented and it's nice to see him in decent things nowadays. Cough, City of Bones, cough. <laughs> he was in City of Bones? Yes. Wasn't he like the main bad guy? Yes. But there was like Aww. lots of really talented people in that thing. We tried so to was Lena Headey. So was Jared Harris, which depresses me. Well, why do yeah. good actors do bad movies? Because sometimes they declare bankruptcy. Because they and need what Lucy Liu referred to as fuck you money. Yeah. yeah. She really I, does speak for us on so many levels. I recently listened to an interview with Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. <gasps> oh. And... Talking about how you know they became BFFs because of X Men, and that they really do enjoy working on the big blockbuster films, but that means that they get to, they have the funding to do things like go on Broadway for three months and do Waiting for Godot, and run around New York being adorable together in bowler hats, in bowler hats and dressed as lobsters in bathtubs. So adorable. Sir Patrick, that is just not... You can't do that to us. You can't. Apparently he did. Except he did. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, so let's, let's talk about Sleepy Hollow. 
Yes, let's. Yeah. Also campy. Speaking of cracklist of shows, like this show on paper should not work. I was I was mocking the hell out of this show, and you know what? I'm going to say it. This is the show Agents of Shield should be. (laughs) This show came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, it's the biggest thing of TV this season. It was the first renewal of the season. Very early on as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it, I think they got it renewed after a couple of weeks. I, I know I kind of live in my little Twitter Tumblr bubble, but I wonder how much of that is due to Orlando Jones being God's gift to fandom. I think it was renewed before he showed up on Tumblr. Yeah, I believe it was. I believe oh. he was starting with a lot of Twitter chat, but once he got on Tumblr, I believe that was already after the renewal. Yeah. So Orlando Jones, who plays <clears throat> Captain Irving <laughs> in the show, you know... Got on Twitter, got on Tumblr, and just dove straight into fandom while all the people were like, the entire Tumblr just stood there going, like, you, you're not supposed to notice us. Yeah. <laughs> like, shh. Do, I don't do know you know what you're getting yourself into? <laughs> he and he reads fanfic and asks for ficrex. Yes, and he posts suggestions of ship names, but also has said that Orlando Jones shipping shipped with Orlando Jones is. The greatest ship of all. <laughs> this man is fearless. I mean, pre Orlando Jones and Brian Fuller, I think we've agreed our philosophy was dear God, stay the hell away from yeah. fandom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. fandom but the, is the not interactions are changing now, and I kind of love it, especially what Orlando Jones is doing, the way he was interacting not just with Tumblr, but with very specific memes and sites. I mean, he submitted himself to your fave is problematic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, wow, I can't believe you did that. My God, I love you. Yeah. And I love how he's trying to, like, tell everybody that everything they love is okay. This is a big harbor. There's room for everybody's ship. Yeah. And and he responded to me last week when I said, hey, do we, we have a new Sleepy Hollow tonight, right? Orlando, do we? And he's like, yes. It's a big Irving episode. <laughs> I just love the fact that this show has taken this ridiculous concept, this weird mishmash of genres, and not only does it own its silliness, but it gives itself the integrity of seriousness when it needs it. Mm. It has got that balance down so well, and it's that's hard to get, especially when your concept is, hey, Ichabod Crane has been, you know, died and woken up 250 years later, and now he can't operate plastic, and he's mad about bread, and he's gonna fight crime! How are people not riding on the streets because donuts are dollar fourteen? I would watch 45 minutes a week of him just complaining about modern day life. Yeah. It would be kind of like Grandpa Simpson, except really, really good looking. Yeah. Because let's be honest, Tom Mason is, oh my god. He's very pretty, and he wanders around with his own his own wind machine. Wind, yeah, wind in my hair. <laughs> I'm so disappointed that hair's awake. <laughs> well, it's hard to maintain that much awesome hair. It is. I'm leaving a flag right now in praise of Britain. <laughs> oh, um, for uh, Br- British mystery show fans, I've recently realized re-watching Lewis that uh, Tom Meissen and Katya Winters who play Ichabod and his wife um, on the show were in an episode of Lewis together and they didn't interact but they were the two murder victims yeah well but we know everybody in Britain he did a lot of stage work in Britain before he really became an actor and in film and in coming to, to America and doing this so but you can watch like 
a bunch of British procedural shows where, you know, every actor turns up for a quick paycheck and he's in about four or five of them. Well, it's just like Law and Order for us. So, Rayton, yes. we had a quote um, bookmarked about this from the writers. Yes, Let's bust did. that out now. Let's bust that out. Um, about what Orlando had to say? No, the writer about Which, the demographics. Oh. About the mm. casting. The... Oh, right. The diversity of the casting. I have it. Um, okay. It's actually from a producer, not a writer. Um, from Heather Caden. Um in quote, it was a conscious effort to, effort to have a diverse cast just to represent our world. I don't think it's realistic for the whole cast to be white. I also think when you're developing a show and casting it mostly Caucasian and you get down to the bad guy and the network is like, you have to have some diversity. Then all of a sudden, that's why the person of color is always killed. And because we have so much diversity in our cast, we've had the freedom to cast our villains and victims however we, we want. So we can kill as many white people as we want. Just so beautiful. Actually, Fox this year have been this season have been doing pretty well on the diversity front. Uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine is another good example. Mm-hmm, I yeah. mean, once you cast Andre Brower in your show, you are basically getting high fives all around anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Tumblr has this GIF set of all the the main um, cast of Sleepy Hollow, and then posted, and then somebody added a comment to it that said, "This is the cast we usually have to gen uh, to raise bent to get." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. I think the other real strength of the show is having Abby Mills, Lieutenant Mills, <laughs> is a strong woman of color who, and the relationship between her and Ichabod is not romantic. Okay, I haven't seen this week's episode, but as so far, it has not been romantic at all. They have been friends and comrades and they both have an immense amount of respect for each other mm-hmm. but it's not based around sex it is very reminiscent of Joan Watson and, uh, and Sherlock Holmes from Elementary I feel mm-hmm. in many ways and perhaps I don't know if they were working on replicating that formula or if it just happened but it certainly is you know the woman of color who's not here for your shit and the hot British guy is a formula that works in American TV <laughs> I'm all for it. I love the fact that he's so respectful of her rank. Mm -hmm. He's constantly calling her lieutenant. He is obeying the orders of hers, even when he has no idea what is entirely going on with, like, the internet or internet, I think I believe he calls it. Ninnet. Something. Which is this infernal device. It's plastic. (laughs) You had to pay for water? Yeah, this water is free. So are the chemicals that come with it. (laughs) I will literally pay you to stop talking. <laughs> well, I could use some currency. <laughs> I love that even though he isn't entirely sure what's going on and because of the 250 years he's been frozen, he's still sarcastic and he still talks about sarcastic sarcasm. Mm. He's like, yes, this concept of sarcasm was around in my time as well. Yeah. Oh, sass. Yeah. And I also appreciated that the... They didn't try to pretend that he would wake up and see a black woman and be like, okay, well, that's not something I should remark on. Because to him, it would be remarkable. Mm -hmm. And they acknowledged it. And that was that. Like, it didn't need to go beyond 
this is a thing that happened. And now that we've acknowledged it, we don't need to dwell on it, but we did acknowledge it. I think this is a thing that many people in the business have a, an issue of dealing with because it's a primarily white industry and they think that the most progressive way you can talk is when you do acknowledge diversity and say, oh, I don't see race. And it's like, that's because you're yeah. white and you have the privilege of not being able to see race. Yeah, You can't just have this happen or you can't just fall into stereotypes. Even if it is something like what we have with Dracula and Sleepy Hollow where you have to acknowledge it. You have to say, this mm -hmm. is what's happening here. And you do move on or it is something that's referenced later. You can do it. You don't need to... Mm -hmm. You you yeah. don't need to sort of become so stewed in your own uh, ignorance of the topic that you just decide, oh well, I wouldn't know how to write that sort of character. It's like, okay, now you just sound like a dick, Stephen yeah. Moffat. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, this cold is just make me say terrible things. <laughs> yes, it's the cold. And of course, the show did kind of wade into more serious territory when they decided to handle the um, the Jefferson right. Oh my oh, god, that was ooh. the greatest thing that ever happened. <laughs> no, I didn't. This is not history I started in school, so I don't want to get any names wrong. So, Thomas Jefferson and um, her Sally name. Hemming. Sa Sally Hemming, that's right. Yeah. <sighs> Honestly, I, I, when you read, like, reading Wikipedia, and I, I don't even know how to describe the relationship. It, some articles call her his mistress, but I mean, to me, that implies consent, which. I don't even know how much of there could have been in that kind of relationship, but the black woman he had a sexual relationship with, a slave he owned, right? A slave he owned, that he had a relationship with. Um, I mean, whatever, whatever feelings were involved, and there might have been, I don't know, or right. it's still completely overshadowed by the fact that he owned her and true consent was just not possible. Right. And the fact that, that they had that whole discussion happen in basically what was a, a prepping the trap montage. So, like, it implies that the conversation took place over a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And you had two African-Americans who would have learned this, possibly not in school, but definitely through through family history family discussions being able to say anything and and Ichabod's going well I knew Jefferson he loved his wife he would never mm -hmm. and they're like dude we have this thing called DNA now so he did you know for a fact <laughs> and I I was very like when when they first announced that the show would be discussing this, you know, I was very worried about how well they'd handle it. I don't think they did it badly. In fact, I think it was quite realistic because, you know, there's a lot of public, um, admired public figures have all sort of downsides and downfalls. And it's mm -hmm. very hard for people to separate um, an idol they admire from human feelings. And that's what you always, a lot of people always get defensive when somebody, you know, some celebrity they really like is shown to, to have, to have done something wrong. And there's the, you know, internet's filled with that kind of thing. So I find um, Ichabod's, you know, reluctance to believe it very realistic that he would need mm -hmm. convincing. Yeah. And, but what I don't know what, how, it, the thing that I'm not sure how I felt about is, um, at in the course of that conversation, um, they have Ichabod, um, say a quote 
that is actually historically Jefferson's, but within the show, they made it so that Jefferson's actually stole it from it. Like he did it without attribution. That Ichabod mm-hmm. was actually the one who said this, this, you know, really great line. And then Jefferson wrote it or said it somewhere and now, and didn't even quote, say that it was his friends. And that is what tips the scales for Ichabod. And he's like, well, I guess you don't really know people if he was. <laughs> and I kind of feel like, dude, they just told you that this guy who fought for freedom refused to, you know, relinquish his slaves and had this relationship with a, a young girl that he owned and it's the copyright infringement that tips it over the edge for you really that's that's kind of what i didn't quite like but again it was kind of realistic because it's the yeah. crime against him personal crime against him ichabod that really tipped it over for him to believe all, all the mm-hmm. other things so I have seen uh, this latest episode, by the way. It was still still really fun, and actually, it um, it was it was a good episode to watch if you enjoy the the camaraderie between Ichabod and Abby. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those episodes where they spend a lot of time with each other and not a lot with anybody else outside interacting outside. This is also the episode in which um, Amanda Jones, the girl who plays Rue in the Hunger Games, in oh, which she excellent. shows up as his daughter. Speaking of which, Catching Fire was out. Catching and I haven't Fire seen it yet. It's Topical. amazing. It's really good. <laughs> TV, TV, concentrate. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my mom has become a pretty big Sleepy Hollow fan. And so <laughs> we talk about it every week. It's really cute. Sleepy Hollow is another show that has that big Twitter conversation happening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are, there are three shows that I consider to be most fun while, while live tweeting. And Sleepy Hollow is one, Dracula is one, and Scandal is the other. Mm-hmm. I, I have people who, on my Twitter feed, who don't watch Scandal and have no desire to, but they really love watching the t- their timelines explode <laughs> with feels and anger. All the time. I really need to catch up on that. I've seen the entire first season and I just never got around to watching the rest of it when everything just went crazy. Oh, it just goes crazier and crazier and crazier. Um, (laughs) Shonda, there was something that happened in a couple of episodes ago that has made a lot of people really angry. Um, Well, it's a Shonda Rhimes show. It's a Shonda Rhimes show, but we're really, really disappointed in her. Like, Uh-oh. even for Shonda Rhimes, this, this... Oh, like, angry not in terms of feelings about characters, but actually a problem with... But actually show. pissed... A problem with the, the show. That... Yeah, it's a gratuitous rape scene that oh. didn't need to happen. And that... I mean, like, the it was one of those cases where the entire Twitter conversation just sort of shut down for about 10 minutes well we're all like um we're not we're not here for this this is this was unnecessary I, on so many levels i don't remember if she ever used rape as a device in gray's anatomy but i know there was a big storyline about it in private practice i don't recall i don't recall one in in gray's but in private practice it was definitely a big thing like a big storyline so, hmm. yeah. 
So do we, I, I say let's, um, in terms of going back to new shows, let's tackle Almost Human next. Okay. Moving on from one uh, Star Trek, the new movie actor, that being John Cho in Sleepy Hollow, to <laughs> uh, Carl Urban is on my TV. Everything is, is right with the world. Yeah. And part of the reason this episode's been recorded so late is that Fox has delayed the premiere of Almost Human, uh, which was at first worrying, but then the reasons were not, you know, lack of trust, but rather they wanted the big football game as the lead in. And it was kind of a double premiere because they aired it Sunday and then Monday, which is its regular slot. So we actually got to see three episodes before recording this. Of which I've only seen one. (laughs) Oh, fail. (laughs) Fail. Fail, sorry. Um, But I enjoyed the one I saw. I've only seen the pilot as well, which I liked, I'll admit. I'm enjoying it. Um, The pilot has set up obviously an arc story that the next two episodes don't follow up on right away. Instead, they just go into kind of establishing the world and doing a more, um, you know, just episodic cop procedural type thing. I do hope they come back to this arc they've established soon because I think it has potential to be the stronger, you know, version of the show than just going episode by episode. We'll, we'll, we'll have to wait. Well, not all shows can, can do a Hannibal and pull in the arc right away. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Hannibal had a couple of setup set up episodes to kind of lure people in. Mm-hmm. So it's it's good. I mean, I wouldn't say it's outstanding. It was one of the shows I was looking most forward to. It hasn't really let me down. Um, I'm not raving about it, but I'm also still going to watch it. And it's it's a good hour of TV. I kind of wish shows like this one, which is, it's a sci-fi set in the near future, like 2048, I believe the the date is. Yeah, that sounds great. I really wish there were particular minutiae that writers of shows in this particular setting would pay attention to. And that is, you know, when you set it in a future that's so near to us, so the our generations and generations of, you know, kids just a little bit younger than us are adults in that Mm-hmm. in that timeline you know pay attention to the names that are popular on kids now don't give yeah. characters names that are popular in adults now give people give the characters the names that are given to babies you know look at your top 10 baby list names do that kind of i, I really feel like th- that kind of um attention is a little bit lacking right now for a show that has such an obvious uh, metaphor going on i'm I wonder if they noticed the fact that they have an entirely white cast except for the black guy who's playing the android who's paired with a man who hates androids. Mm. Consider mm. well, okay, um considering they the second episode, right? So not this week's but last so the second episode was pretty much almost entirely about androids versus people and how they're treated and is it right to just deactivate one? And what about its feelings? So it really delves into this ma- metaphor almost right away. I hope something that is developed because race is so often written out of sci-fi, particularly mainstream sci-fi that gets on a network like Fox. And I think they have a great opportunity um, as long as they don't just sort of focus on we have this big concept and we're going to have, you know, 
we're just going to run with that concept and nothing else. Because they also have a great cast, except for Minko Kelly, who is just cardboard. Oh, God. I'm so <laughs> upset when um when she was cast because she's just... I don't know what it is. It, uh, I don't, she turns me off somehow. And in here, she really is just a blank pretty girl. She is. She's just... She's like Rivita. There's nothing to her. <laughs> but hey, that she's, one she's pirate is in it. She's an actress. The pirate from the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, Mackenzie Crookson, he's great. Lily Taylor, who's a ri- ridiculously underrated actress who's done a lot of indie work. She was in Six Feet Under as well. You don't see, you don't really expect to see her in such a sort of big budget mainstream project. Mm-hmm. She's great. And Carl Urban is Carl Urban. What do I need to say? He's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I like having him weekly in, you know, in weekly installments where he has that look where he's both bemused, but he's sort of smoldering at the same time. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, but damn, I'm going to look good doing it. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, should have said though, that at least they had um, in the in the first episode that's setting up the arc story. So Carl Urban's character's ex girlfriend is black and seems like she'll be a recurring character. So um, I don't know if they were going for kind of like future post racial, so you know, interracial rem- uh, relationships are a norm kind of thing. But really, you're right. Like I don't. It, it is. Other than that, it's kind of jarring that there is Dorian. <laughs> He's an android. It happens to be pretty much the only black face you see on the show. He is played by Michael Ely, who's an excellent actor. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that he's got a good lot to sink his teeth into. I think he will do more with that than the script demands. Because he's been in so many terrible things. <laughs> it's good, you know, and I think Dorian's casting, I mean, as much as we all love Carl Urban, it's really Dorian's casting that's going to make or break the show. So this actor... I think has the show riding on his shoulders because it really is all about how, well, this android who has human feelings and the setup is that their line of androids was discontinued because actually their, you know, the processing power couldn't handle human feelings. You know, they would basically go the android version of insane. So I think his ability to act subtly and have just, you know, micro expressions that telegraph the emotional struggles that he's supposed to be going through is really going to be where the show will stand or fall. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But so far, you know... I kind of feel like this is going to be another example of a J.J. Abrams show that does better once he has gone the hell away from it. <laughs> yeah. Very possibly. Yeah. He kind of reminds me of Stephen King that he has great ideas, but he has no idea how to end a story. Oh, absolutely. So he has to sort of like give it to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I just, uh, so the verdict for now is, you know, give it a chance. And we're all kind of waiting to see whether the show gains like an upward momentum or not. And I just, as a viewer, I just really hope they return back to the arc story and start developing it right away. Yeah. Uh, you've been mentioning, what is it, Brooklyn... Nine, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Nine-Nine. Not- it's the, the comedy that I, that I picked up this season. Um, amazingly enough, like, every show that I picked up this season is still going. And that happened last season, too. And my TiVo is getting very full. <laughs> it's very stressful. <laughs> um. So Brooklyn Nine Nine is is a wacky cop sitcom of this ridiculous police force in Brooklyn, and uh, it's just it's lots of fun. It's fun. <laughs> fun is good. 
I haven't seen it yet, but it's. I've been told it would fill the hole in my heart left from Thirty Rock. Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And it's got a great cast, so it does. Um, one of the the dudes from Lonely Island is in it. Andy, Andy Samberg. Samberg. Um, and it also has. It actually has a a cast of police officers you'd expect in a in a Brooklyn police barracks. So. Mm. Go with that. We still don't have a premiere time for Community, do we? A date. It's January 2nd. Oh, we do? Yay! Do. I don't know if I'm looking forward to it or dreading it. Um, because I'm looking t- forward to it because like, the rest of the cast seems really happy about it. Mm-hmm. And, and John Oliver is back. So... Mm. True. Side note, but John Oliver is now getting his own TV show on HBO, so he will no longer be the heir to The Daily Show. <laughs> no, he's leaving The Daily Show. He, Ooh. I listened to the the episode of Bugle podcast that he does with Andy Saltzman, where he announced that, and he, like, seriously, he was like, I don't fucking know how to feel about this. <laughs> I just, I don't. <laughs> this is a really big kind of emotional thing, and I'm kind of fucked up. Um, he did an excellent job hosting it this summer for yeah um, he really because I kind of have fallen by the wayside with Daily Show I think John Stewart has been phoning it in for a while and I just really enjoyed that breath of fresh air so I will be tuning in to see whatever the hell John Oliver does because mm-hmm. we are just going to take over all your shit in America <laughs> yeah that's okay you have John Oliver to compensate for the fact that we sent you Piers Morgan our apologies yeah, but for that. With this TV season, we have a I, lot of you your don't sound conversating sorry. for a lot of things. I'm not sorry at all. Yeah. I will say, if, if John Oliver is no longer going to be the heir to The Daily Show, can it be Jessica Williams instead? Uh, yeah, I support that. I love her. She's so good. <laughs> um, I don't think any of us have been watching much in terms of half-hour sitcoms this season, but the two big names seem to be The Goldbergs and Trophy Wife. I've seen one episode of The Trophy Wife. Um, all I can say is Bradley Whitford is basically playing Josh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my coworker Peter, uh, who's written that TIFF report for us, says he's really enjoying it. So if you're looking at kind of the new crop of sitcoms, I, it looks like they're pretty good. It has been picked up as well. So... You're guaranteed a show on you know that aspect at least. It's gone down very well with friends of mine as well. Uh, it's got Malin Ackerman in it, who's sort of showing that she can actually be a very funny actress when she's not just shoved into terrible, you know, terrible romantic movies. And it's developed by Sarah Haskins, who did um, that show that was on current TV, the the uh, about what's it called, Target Women. And the funny thing is, it's called Trophy Wife, but the episode I've seen and the snippets of others, it's really kind of a modern family riff. Yes, that's what it's been compared yeah. to a lot. Like, it's not about her being the Trophy Wife. It's just about, you know, all these kids and various wives and how they all interact. Yeah. I have wanted to give Mom a shot because I love Alice and Janney. Um... But I just I haven't because the TiVo's full. <laughs> Alice and Janney is in my favorite show of the fall season, though, which is which... Masters of Sex, mm. which really should be called Doing It for Science. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, research every purposes ep- the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. But literally, there is every single episode, there is a moment where a person who is usually Michael Sheen will make some sort of comment about how they need to have sex for science. So it's just for the study. It's okay. It's like, I love this show. If you're not watching Masters of Sex, it's on Showtime in America. It's on Channel 4 in Britain. Check your listings for other countries. It's based on the true story of William Masters and Virginia Johnson, who who were a doctor and his secretary who conducted one of the most influential studies in human sexuality at the time. I believe it predates the Kinsey scale in terms of research. And it's very, it's tightly written. It's beautifully directed period piece that happens to feature Lizzie Kaplan, who is brilliant. She is just the best thing that's on TV right now, I think. She's playing this sort of, this twice divorced single mother living in the 60s trying to get by, but it doesn't resort to cliches. It has her being this very headstrong character who doesn't view sex as being something that you should get emotionally attached to, which is incredibly progressive, even today, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And the relationship she has with Michael Sheen, who isn't always a very sympathetic character, but I think Sheen pulls him off marvelously. I mean, that man can do anything. <laughs> you know, he made he made Twilight watchable for so many people. <laughs> he is ridiculously talented, and, and the relationship that he has with Virginia Johnson, who he later married in real life, it's not really mm-hmm. a spoiler. It's kind of hinted at in the first episode. Um, so it's really interesting to watch that progress. And there's a lot of really interesting subplots as well, particularly the one featuring Alison Janney, who is um, the wife of the head of the hospital, and the head of the hospital is a closeted gay man. Mm-hmm. So while he has been off seeing male prostitutes, she has has not had sex in six years and has an affair with a younger man. And there's no judging going on. There's no one saying, you're terrible for doing this, you're a whore or you're a homewrecker or anything like that. It's really just handled as the decisions that these people make during the worst of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Alison Janney is just heartbreakingly good in everything she's in. Mm. Yeah, She can be both just really hilarious and dramatically stunning. I love her. <laughs> the show's also very darkly funny in places. I mean, the way it handles sex, because there's a lot of nudity in it, because it's about, you know, a sex study. Um, but it's never gratuitous, which I really liked. It is just, oh, these people are naked, and they're going to start masturbating with a giant dildo called Ulysses, and then they're <laughs> going to have sex. Yep, yeah, they gave it a name, it's called Ulysses. Um, <laughs> but it's never, I mean, there is humour in that, but it's never done as like, oh yeah, they're going to start having sex. Which I really appreciate because I don't know if that's because and on Showtime, Showtime has a habit of getting quite gratuitous with sex. They tend mm-hmm. to get a little bit HBO in that aspect. Mm-hmm. So che- if you haven't seen it, check it out. It has been renewed for a second season. Um, it's doing really well on Showtime, which I'm very glad about. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm glad it's moving beyond the sort of stereotype everyone had of saying, oh, it's just Mad Men with more sex. It's not. It's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. It's really wonderful. Another show I'd like you to... To talk about because I haven't seen it, but it's kind of been talked. You know, one of the bigger shows this season is The Blacklist. Oh, <laughs> would you like to start, Raiden? I, I, I will only say this: as somebody who hasn't seen it, I watched one of the people I follow on Twitter live tweet the pilot, and it was all about, well, this was what we were afraid Hannibal would be like. Yeah, yeah. well, I don't mean that in a. Ba- I guess I can kind of see the the Silence of the Lambs type parallels if you squint and kind of want it. Oh, you don't need to squint. They are so obvious in some places. Um, I I enjoy it. I mean, I don't enjoy it the same way that I've been enjoying the other shows. Um, 
but you know, it's it's a fun little procedural, and I'm intrigued to see what exactly everyone's deal is. And I mean, I think it's pretty obvious what Red's deal is, but. <laughs> I mean, the thing about the show is, I've been sort of joking that it's like Silence of the Lambs fan fiction, except it's very stupid. It is a much stupider show than it thinks it is, but it's never boring. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I never, it's never a show that I'm entranced by. I, I don't sit on the edge of my seat watching it like I do with something like Hannibal, which yeah. is going to be the obvious comparison I make. But it's something I like to have on in the background where I can sort of pay attention to it and look, oh, James Spader is being James Spadery and um, Lizzie's wig is absolutely terrible. And I don't care about any other character on the show except for him, really. But, you know, I'm. It, it's very CSI in its procedural yeah. aspects in terms of I don't need to pay that much attention to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But there are certain elements I do find intriguing, but this is a show that's being carried by the sheer force of personality that is James Spader, who is clearly having the time of his life dressing up in fancy suits and hats and basically veering between Anthony Hopkins and his character and secretary. <laughs> Without the, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But um, I, think there, I think the parallels are, there are some that are very obvious, but... If you've never seen Hannibal, or even if you have, you can sort of live with it. It's fine. I understand why the show is popular on NBC because mm-hmm. it is a very mainstream show. Yeah. Um, it's really fun beating the AV Club's recaps of it because I don't think the show's ever been rated above a C in their recaps. <laughs> but the, the thing is, it's a very B minus C show. Doesn't mean it's yeah. bad. We need those shows in our lives. You can't have every show be the emotional roller coaster of brain melting, I need a hug help meanness that is stuff like Hannibal or Scandal, as people have been saying. You need those shows in your life. Yeah, but that's why we have Dracula and Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> yeah, but he, I mean... But there's, there's something but, about the straightforwardness of the blacklist that's very appealing. You know, I know yeah. what I'm going to get when I sit and watch that show, and I kind of like that. That's, I think that's probably how I feel about Hawaii Five-0. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not... It's not brilliant TV, but it's TV that will definitely help pay the bills. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's fun to it's fun to watch. I'm all it's for not anything the total that... yeah. total glee fest that is Sleepy Hollow, but I'm all for anything that puts some money in NBC's pockets. Cause Lord knows they could use it to fund some other lovely shows that are coming later on the line. <laughs> I mean, they've given the show the plum ratings spot. It's yeah. Tuesday at nine or ten, is it? It's mm-hmm. Monday at ten. Uh, all right. Well, they, they get it. To, see, I don't know anything about this. Why am I talking about this? <laughs> they, they, they know. They knew that the show was probably the best chance they had at having a bona fide ratings smash. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to have critics' approval. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, give it a shot. It is fun. And you yeah. do get some cool, like, guest actors appearing. Isabella Rosalini's in the second episode. Um, the guy, Robert Sean Leonard, who's in House, is in one episode. Exactly. It's definitely going to be one of those shows where guest actors who you really like in random roles appear to play, like, the criminal of the week. Exactly. And it's <laughs> obvious that they're the criminal of the week. Because you know them. I would <laughs> love to see them because give Because you more... have watched a TV yeah. show. <laughs> I would love to see them give more... Um, give some more development to the supporting cast because they're just there. Like, mm-hmm. Perminder Nagra is in the show, who's a wonderful actress, and she is given literally nothing to do. 
I don't know yep. why she's there, and she, I need a reason for her to be there because I I love her as an actress, and I think she deserves better. Yeah, I also really she, like Red's body bodyguards. Yeah, she stomps around and yells sometimes, <laughs> and there's very bland FBI dude. What is his name? I can never remember it. I don't. I'm on. Hang on, Wikipedia. Special Agent Donald Resler. See, I didn't even know that. Very bland FBI dude. <laughs> There's Look, Ford Elizabeth. is more interesting. <sighs> yeah. Actually, let's let's segue here because I do want to talk about the elephant and the TV screen. The yeah, show we, we made that joke about in the beginning, but have mentioned a couple of times since then. The most anticipated show of the season. With a big resounding, meh, it's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I will say that I, I am enjoying Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know. I'm it's actively not... not enjoying it. I mean, the past couple of episodes I I liked, but the show has never moved beyond just being fine for me. And that devastates me on so many levels because I was ecstatic for the show. And then I found out that they had a Scottish guy in it. And I was like, yes, I'm representing my people. And just... <laughs> Here's the thing about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that, of course, it was riding this huge wave of post-Avengers frenzy, right? Like, everybody was so excited. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to flourish, and it's reaching out to TV, and Coulson lives, and we love Clark Gregg, and we still do. You know, and J.D. Abrams, it's going to be great, and it premiered, and I'm sitting there going like, Mm, uh, more something big, big, why that's exactly it this is a, I've mentioned this a couple times on Twitter uh, my Twitter live tweet of the show is just you know sheer disappointment but it feels like they've been coasting by on goodwill they and are. they sort of thought we have this great concept why would we need to really do anything with it and it's like well you have a great concept, but you've populated it with terrible baggy scripts that are nowhere near as funny as you think they are. You've populated it with characters who are dull. Like, there's a character on the show, I did not know his name for about five episodes. I just kept referring to him as Agent Bland. <laughs> yeah, he is. You know, I, this is going to hurt to say this. I like Clark Gregg, but he is not a strong enough personality to pull off leading this ensemble. Certainly none of his back players help him out that much. <laughs> Like no, I mean, the only the only character on the show outside of Coulson who I have any interest in is Melinda May, who's hey. played by Ming-Na Wen, who is 50 years old, by the way. Oh my god, that was the most mind-blowing realization. Shocking. And she's given really nothing to do. I mean, she's sort of to be, there, the, to be this sort of strong, silent, scowling type who comes yeah. in, kicks ass, and flies the plane. And okay. I think there's an interesting development there for her, but they keep focusing on Sky. <sighs> okay, so let's, let's do this properly. So... You're right. Like it's got this humongous cache of goodwill. It rides in, and the team. So who do we have? I mean, we were all prepared to love Coulson, and then they have square jaw, jaw, boring white guy hero. The problem Who's isn't that he's white. Agent Ward. <laughs> yeah, the Agent Ward. The problem isn't that he's white. The problem is that he's a blank slate that does not have any personality beyond that. Would you imagine as that? caricature of the bland, bland square jaw hero he is he is but unironically <laughs> and then we had sky who was like the, the hippie hacker chick and i guess she was supposed to be the audience's entry because she's new to the team but there was nothing interesting about her either and i don't care about her dr- 
trumped up drama about her parents and oh, the moment they introduced that i actually audibly sighed and went oh come on and for the first three episodes ward and sky were the focus of the show and the last two episodes that everybody says are better it's because they suddenly they finally stopped being the focus of the show yeah and you know you've got the quirky background characters like fitzsimmons who are actually fitz and simmons and they're they're fun they're quirky and British. They're scientists. Did I mention that? It's just that they're scientists and they're quirky and British. I really feel like I should stress that. The show doesn't stress it enough. <laughs> the show is making me actively hate the Scottish guy, okay? <laughs> Do you understand how much that and hurts? There's to... like a small tartan figure dying in my soul just saying that. <laughs> it's... You're going to take the weird Scottish citizenship. I'm not going to be allowed to vote in the independence referendum just for saying that. That's right. <laughs> it's very disappointing. Like... At this point, and they keep on teasing the how's Coulson alive storyline, and it, at this point, I think that's the only interesting thing about the show. Now, comic book readers pretty much have a pretty good idea of how he's alive. Yeah. That, however, leads into a whole question of, well, that could lead to very interesting consequences. So let's just get to those consequences because nothing else is holding our interest. But I was told that the show has a couple year plan, which is odd to me because it doesn't feel like they have one. To me, it feels like they had this interesting idea for a pilot. Even then, it's not that interesting. And they're just sort of coasting by on that, trying to quote-unquote find their feet. And that's one of the reasons I've been sticking with the show is because it needs time. You know, Parks and Rec for the first season isn't very good. Second season, it becomes this amazing show. Mm-hmm. There's every possibility Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. could do that. And I, I want to do that because watching potential be squandered like this is really very hard, especially when you've waited so long for this and you're a fan of this character, Coulson. And I like Clark Gregg, but He's got nothing to work with here. I really feel like they haven't done a good job of establishing their universe. And I think part of it is that their hands are so tied with not owning the mutants property. Mm-hmm. Is that they end up with these episodes about superpowered people, but they're not allowed to say the word mutant. And yeah. these aren't the alien superheroes. So, like, these aren't uh, always, when they're not as Guardian, you know, or any other kind of non mutant superhero that Marvel has. When they are, in fact, basically just people with powers, but like we're meandering around the mutant thing, it's like they haven't found a way to create this half Marvel universe. That's my biggest, another big issue I have with the show is it doesn't feel like an organic part of the Marvel universe. Whenever they make references to Captain America or how dreamy for is, it feels like when fans talk about it, it doesn't feel like it's an integral part of their universe. And that. It's so unfocused in what it wants to do because I don't think it entirely knows what it wants to do. Mm-hmm. And I know they're working on a budget. I know it's TV, but it's really obvious sometimes. And I don't mind that. Like Shows can do immense work with small budgets. But it's a show that's priding itself on being incredibly epic, and it's not. Mm-hmm. But you have them sort of go off to... Did they go off to Peru or they go off to South America somewhere? They did. And it kind of sort of verges into stereotype there as well. Oh, then they went to it's Russia. Like, and the horrible yeah. thing is that was the same week that Arrow went to Russia, and I just couldn't. Like, I couldn't. I shut down at one point. Like I cannot anymore with the accents and the whatever. Just, I'm done. I was done. I was done with the American TV Russia. That it's week. worth pointing out that the ratings for this thing start out extremely strong, and they have a, they've halved. Mm. The most recent episode was about seven million in comparison to twelve. They need to pick that up. I mean, they've already renewed it, and we've. About 6 million, 7 million viewers. You can kind of get by with that. 
but mm-hmm. not with the amount of hype that they've put into this show because they're clearly trying to establish this as something a little more profitable. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually doing very pretty good in the ratings in Britain, but you know we'll watch any old shit. But I think it's still like it still has that cash of goodwill. Like it it had such yeah. a huge one that it hasn't actually gone through it yet. But they also have their most recent episode as well ties into the aftermath of what happens in Far Two, Except which was a very shrewd move. Yeah. Yes, but it didn't really tie in as much as I thought it would. No, but it got people excited that, enough to you know give it the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think that that they couldn't tie it in so directly because there are going to be people who hadn't seen Thor Two yet, but they couldn't wait too long. Well, the thing addressing, I was just really hoping what was going to happen with the aftermath of Thor Two was going to involve the the second after credit scene. Well, because there's that giant yes, monster running yes, around. Yes, that's London. exactly what I was. Because I was like, how do I not spoil this exactly? But that's what I thought. And have Coulson go. There's, there's like a, a fucking what? There's like a Jesus. dinosaur thing rampaging around London. Couldn't they have been corralling that? Yeah. I, I would also say, I think that this show will instantly improve, at least on some element, once Kobe Smulders finishes How I Met Your Mother and comes back as Agent Hill. Because mm-hmm. in that pilot, she is way more interesting than every other character that's part of the official agent team. Well, you know, when you watch the deleted scenes from the Avengers and there was that entire subplot with her not actually trusting Fury's methods and then coming around, I feel like would have been actually really interesting to see it through. So maybe she would be given more to work with if she came to um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It would be nice. I, I hope really so. Enjoyed the char- I think the actress really likes the character, so I think she'd be up for it. I think that would be an interesting angle to take the show in because there's this big glaring problem that no one seems to be talking about, which is... S.H.I.E.L.D. are kind of terrible at their job. <laughs> like, why is Sky there? She's clearly proven herself not just to be incompetent, but a danger. And, a, and there's this whole call like, oh, I believe in her. And she's like, no, she's kind of terrible. And she's also just extremely annoying. But putting that aside, she doesn't know what she's doing. I'm just like this, oh, but she's got a good heart. And it's like, yeah, well, Thor has a good hammer. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that metaphor. I really just want to talk to Thor. <laughs> the hammer is my penis. <laughs> We do the weird stuff. Sorry, Joss Whedon fans, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, we love Joss Whedon and his genderism. Okay, well, this Joss Whedon, um, I did want to talk about something in that this, Joss Whedon is an executive producer, but he's not actually hands-on with the show. This is This is his brother and sister-in-law, Marissa Tuncharan. Oh, I'm so sorry. Tuncharan? Yeah, I always butcher We apologize. Now, People who like, uh, who got my previous reference, i.e. people who are fans of uh, Dr. Singalong blog, will remember her, now she was a minor actress because she was one of the writers of Dr. Horrible, and she has a song on the commentary, Nobody's Asian in the Movies. Now, she's Asian, and kind of representation is important to her, so... In S.H.I.E.L.D., we have, well, Sky, horrible character, is played by a half-Asian actress. And then we have Minna Wen as Melinda May. So there's that. But on the other hand, I kind of feel like they're the characters themselves are still just trope stereotypes. Oh, yeah. Because Melinda, Melinda May is this basically martial arts dragon lady. And Sky is, you know, the techno hippie hacker. <laughs> so the characters aren't really good enough to step outside that and say, you know, 
and be something more than the trope, which is really upsetting. I've heard the excuse used, we're only seven or eight episodes in, give them time. It's like, but look at the work that Sleepy Hollow has done in that amount of time mm-hmm. in terms of character development. You know what? This is nothing to do with time. You have the ability to period. Exactly. <laughs> but they had this, this chance to really develop Sky, and the route they took was, oh, I was abandoned by my parents and I don't know who I am. And it's like, who wrote this? Why did you go down that route? This is not the Bronze Age of comic books. That was the worst trope you could have picked because it just made me care even less about her. I am not around to listen to whiny orphans. I'm sorry. Yeah, and... I need them to develop the British people as well. Just just as a, a sake of patriotism, you know? Because I can't deal with them constantly being all, oh, oh, what are we going to do? Oh, Fitz, what are we going to do? Oh, no. Oh, don't do that. No, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. No, you don't do that. The smelly body blow up. Boom. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> wow, that was fantastic. And actually really accurate. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But I did like um, Fitz... It did lead to a very funny moment where I was watching the pilot with my dad and my dad said, that guy's Scottish accent, really good. And I was like, that's because he's actually Scottish. <laughs> he went, what, really? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, wow, I didn't realise we were going that far across the ocean. <laughs> I did like the, the Russian episode with Fitz in the Russian episode. I thought he, that was... Bad. Like I like some... the fact that he was downing his shots. <laughs> I was like, that's actually quite accurate, nationality-wise. But he went for beer and not whiskey as well. Well done. <laughs> There are moments I think the Would past two episodes order? I've liked. Yeah. I don't do whiskey. I'm a Scot who doesn't do whiskey. He's <gasps> on the war-torn border of Georgia and Russia. I wouldn't go for whiskey there either. <laughs> Fair enough. <sighs> yeah. The show works when these people are competent. It's trying to spin them as being competent, and they're really not. <laughs> See, if the show is doing it as like this incompetent government agency who's really in charge of sort of stopping the world from being blown up. I think that would be actually really fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're they're playing it so straight. The the latest episodes developments with Melinda May and possibly Ward are starting to get interesting. So hopefully the show has now waded out of the mire of boring tropes and are starting to actually give these characters some personality. And Obviously we haven't seen tonight's episode yet because we're recording this. Yeah. I will be able to see it on Friday, so... This is one of the examples of the show where we get it basically right after America gets it. Sleepy Mm -hmm. Hollow, we're a couple weeks behind. Dracula, we're a week behind. This, we're only three days. Clearly, British TV thought that the potential was there for this audience as much as America did. And we're hanging on more than America is for some reason. (laughs) Maybe that's part of the, you know, patriotic dedication to the British people. I don't know. Ah, well, before Raiden completely falls asleep, let's wake her up a little. (laughs) Raiden? Hang on, I have the hiccups. (laughs) I have some British stuff to talk about, and one of which will annoy Russian people. Uh... Yeah, you should totally do that. Okay, Okay, let's do that. We'll uh, leave that. A Young Doctor's Notebook has a second season. Young Doctor's Notebook is the Sky Arts drama, which is an adaptation of the diaries of uh, Mikhail Bilyakov who wrote The Master and Margarita um, it features John Hamm and Daniel Radcliffe playing the same character it's sort of inspired by the author's real experience as a doctor um, it's one of the weirdest shows on TV and that's saying something because I watch a lot of weird TV but basically what happens is John Hamm is reading his diaries and he's having 
we don't entirely know if they're flashbacks or if they're like him traveling in time or if he's a ghost or whatever but he's basically looking back on his life when he was a doctor in this remote russian village and he basically becomes this sort of sexually frustrated morphine addict who has to deal with the revolution while stealing drugs and it's this weird mixture of sort of slapstick comedy and extremely bleak misery so oh, it's one hey, of those we don't Russia, <laughs> British. Russia. We don't entirely know. It's one of those things you don't entirely know if you're supposed to laugh or cry. Um, Slap but there... comedy and bleak misery. That sounds like home, all right. <laughs> the one of the fun things is John Hamm and Daniel Radcliffe are playing the same character. John Hamm is nine inches taller than Daniel Radcliffe, so they play around with that. There's a moment where um, he's John Hamm steals a page from a book from Daniel Radcliffe and he holds it above his head and he says, "I'm not going to demean myself." And there are episodes where they dance and he tries to run away from getting a hug. And it's kind of hard to describe. I'm amazed that they gave them the budget to make this. But I'm glad that they did. I'm glad that we got a second season. The second season starts as the revolution is beginning. And all of the soldiers are falling in with limbs falling off and blood pouring out of their orifices. So it's Radcliffe's job to patch them up and hide the fact that he's stolen all the morphine and replaced it with water. Although the thing that will annoy... Russian people is how they spell the opening credits, which I'm sending to Alina now. Is it the Borat thing again? Pretty much. Yeah. Sorry. I feel like I will give the show credit that it doesn't yeah. make everyone do terrible Russian accents. Everyone the just talks with hell? their accents. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You are Fine. not. You are not sorry at all. Mean person. I do get topless Daniel Radcliffe, so I'm really not that sorry. Talk to me about the tunnel. You want to get back in my good graces? I will talk about the tunnel because the tunnel was one I, I, I'm also really enjoying. Basically, it's not enough to remake a show once. You have to remake it twice. The tunnel is the British French version of The Bridge, which I talked about the American version of a couple episodes ago, which is based on a Swedish Danish show. Um, and the pilot of this show is basically a carbon copy of both of the pilots of those shows, which is the body of a right-wing politician is found dead on the border between two countries, or in this instance, it's the Channel Tunnel. It turns out that the top half is this politician, the bottom half is a prostitute from the other country, and there is a serial killer slash vigilante who is basically trying to bring attention to certain causes through the most twisted and disgusting means possible. And it's up to the the sort of freewheeling, easygoing, charming British detective and the more straight-laced, possibly autistic French detective, who in this version is played by Fleur Delacour from Harry Potter, to solve it. She's wonderful. I really like her. Um, I was really sceptical about the show because, well, why would we need to remake this? You know, America's already doing it, and America has did an excellent job with it. And we already got the Brit- we got the original show in Britain. We have this big audience for Scandinavian shows in Britain, actually. So why would we need to remake it? But I think they've tapped into something really interesting right now in in Europe. Um, there's a lot of there's a rise of the right wing. There's a lot of Euroscepticism. There's a lot of mm-hmm. anti-immigrant bashing. You see this happen a lot during times of recession. You know blame the others quote unquote others so they've tapped into that and it feels very raw and it's actually extremely genuinely upsetting at times there's one scene involving um, a retirement home that left me genuinely sort of dumbstruck with just the fact that they went there i won't spoil it but it is just a warning it's upsetting 
So they've managed to differentiate themselves from the other shows enough in that it feels very specific to what we are experiencing in Britain and I imagine what they're experiencing in France right now. I think far higher levels in Britain anyway. um, Stephen Delane is the detective from Britain as well. I really like him. He's got great chemistry with um, Clemens Posey who's just constantly confused as to why she has to work with another human being. (laughs) Especially one who never cleans his car. And um, his wife is played by Gwen from Maryland, who's really lovely. Um, the shows keep casting really cool people as the detective's wife as well, because in the um, American version, she's played by Catalina Sandero, Sandino Moreno. So I, I would give it a shot. If you're watching it in Britain, it's on Sky Atlantic. Um, I need to catch up with the most recent episode. But it's very, very contemporary in terms of what's going on politically and... Um, geographically right now so give it a go and then watch the original and if you can get your hands on the FX one it's if nothing else is fascinating to watch the three of them and see where they're doing the same things and where they're dif- going different and the sort of cultural differences between Scandinavia Britain, France and America mm-hmm. and Clemens Posey is excellent, it's really cool to see her doing doing stuff outside of Harry Potter well she was also excellent in In Bruges <laughs> I, I did one um also do a brief thing about shows that air in Canada that are not the American shows, because obviously we get all those. Um, And I'd like to in particular mention Cracked, which actually this is its second season. And it's, it's a uh, police procedural about a special unit, uh, the, uh, um, the psychological crimes unit. So where a cop is paired up with her, either with like a psychiatric nurse or a psychiatrist or psych- somebody with training, you know, mental health training um, and called where, whether either, you know, a witness or victim or a suspected perpetrator um, might require that kind of attention. It's interesting that they made, I imagine they made it because actually Toronto in recent news has had some very kind of big, scandals about police inept handling of um, people with mental health issues. Uh, I kind of wonder if the show, if the idea for the show came from that. It was really, I really enjoyed it last season and I'm still enjoying it this season. Um, For fans of Hannibal, uh, the actress who plays Abigail actually guest starred on the season premiere. (laughs) Uh, And quite, and a couple of other actors were, have been in the show as well. So it's, it's, it's really good uh it's it's my spiritual successor to flashpoint which i loved uh the other canadian show i'm i'm always watching is murdoch mysteries which is victorian toronto it's based on a series of books it's now i think season seven if i'm not mistaken and it's still just lots of historical fun and murder and drama and uh, the third canadian show i watch is arctic air which hasn't actually premiered yet this season and that one set um, in the North and Yukon Territory about a small airline and it, it's a one-hour drama and it often deals with first people issues and just kind of very Canadian issues. Um, so I'm looking forward to that coming back next year. I know We love you, Canada. We don't say that enough around here. We support you during your tough times. We love you. <sighs> Raiden, let's talk about MR Proved. Okay. So the team behind the Lizzie Bennet Diaries has started their second full uh, Jane Austen adaptation with Emma, who a uh, long time, do we have long time listeners? Um, 
previous listeners may recall as my favorite, favorite, favorite Jane Austen story because it's so charming. And this is charming too. It makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really great. It's um it's very different. I'm I'm glad that they're not just trying to remake Lizzie Benadari's with another, you know, Austin skin. They're this is really its own entity. So I'm really happy about that. Uh, I'm really happy about their Emma Joanna Sotomura, who I think gets the She's character. She's awesome. She she's pitch perfect as this character. She gets this character. I'll say that. Um, Emma, you know, she's just the right amount of obnoxious. <laughs> which is what you need from Emma. Yeah. Obnoxious and adorable. Yeah, but she, she still means well. Mm-hmm. She's just very energetic about the way she approaches things. <laughs> And she's very sure that she is absolutely doing that her decisions and her choices are going to be really what's best for everybody. And uh, can we talk about Mr. Knightley? Yeah. I love their Knightley. So snarky. (laughs) He's snarky. He's got just the right amount of I, I'm not putting up with your shit, Emma. <laughs> it's very interesting in that, of course, in Lizzie Benadari's, it was all about, like, show us Darcy. When is Darcy going to be on the show? And it was a huge frenzy when they teased him being in the next episode, and then he was. And in this one, nightly, just like he was a big presence in the book right away, he's a big presence in the show right away. You get mm-hmm. a lot of nightly and Emma together, but that's why it has its own charm. And it's really doing yeah. its own thing. And instead of of approaching this like with the Lizzie Bennett diaries that this is a real time video real time video this is a video project that Emma is putting together for the future when she accepts her lifetime achievement award in lifestyle excellence (laughs) or something in other words all those problems we talked about how well people wouldn't, wouldn't really make that public aren't an issue here because while they're still a first-person video blog, they're not now public in-universe. So an audience is just an audience. You know, the, the, within the universities are not public, so there's that conflict of, she would never actually post that, does not no longer exist, which I think was a very smart move in their part. Mm-hmm. Um, it does look like they listened to, to a lot of that kind of criticism and really worked to address it. And I, I'm guessing in some ways this also gives them a lot more freedom. Um, so as always with the Lizzie Benadaris, this is a web show completely free on YouTube, you know, five minute episodes twice a week, uh, really break up the monotony of a work day, really worth checking out. Yep, definitely. <sighs> Can I now cry bitter tears about person of interest? Tears of pain yes. and joy and heartbreak and... So, you know, a lot of the returning shows are giving us just as strong feelings as the new shows. Person of Interest is one of the best shows on TV. I will say that. I honestly believe that very sincerely. Um, from season one throughout, uh, I do think these, 
you know, it just gets stronger as it goes. It's a different kind of crime drama procedural, and this season has been absolutely stellar. I've been at the edge of my seat the entire time. The character of Carter has been particularly great, and then the last episode just completely tore my heart to shreds. Like, why don't you just destroy everything beautiful in this world in a good way? This is not me hating the show. This is me being absolutely emotionally taken for a ride by a show in the best and worst way. Oh, it was really hard. Like, I... Raiden saw me raging on Twitter, and then she's like, you need to talk about this. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit funny. I do want to, you know, this being my podcast, I'm just going to go into spoilers. There is a character death. I'm not going to say who. I'm just saying there is a major character death. And there's been a lot of open dialogue between the creator of the show and the actors and the audience about it. Um, and they, they basically, the creator went ahead and said that he's warned he, a lot of his actors from the start that he wanted the show to have real stakes and that if he felt that the arc um, logically culminated in death, he'd do it. Um, the actor playing that character has said that they are, they're fine with this, they're happy with how the character went out and they feel that this was organic and um, that actor has stated in the past that they're not necessarily interested in a seven season commitment. So maybe this was even, even kind of work for them on a professional level as well, because I saw some rumblings of, you know, being fired or being pushed out for, you know, for reasons that aren't necessarily fair, but it really doesn't seem to be the case. The actor has been very complimentary about this development. And for those who need convincing to see it, (laughs) my husband describes the show as what if Batman were two people? So imagine Batman and the millionaire detective never actually leaves the Batcave instead of the action hero leaves the Batcave. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. So if, if you haven't been watching it, but you want it, one of those shows that maybe you just go to Netflix and do the whole thing, definitely do Person of Interest. Mm-hmm. We can talk about Stephen Amell's abs. Those returned oh, to us this season. They did. They did. I'm actually really pleased with how Arrow's going this season. Is a, a lot of the criticism about the first season was, oh my god, he's killing all of these people. And there don't seem to be any consequences for it. And, well, they're maybe aren't haven't been much in the way of legal consequences um they immediately in the the first episode of the new season he immediately goes into wow i've been really fucking up the superhero thing maybe i can do better (laughs) maybe Maybe, i can and maybe less murder (laughs) maybe less murder so, I've been appreciating that. That's been fun. The show's big problem is, oh, I don't know, it's, it's the character of Laurel, and I can't remember the actress's name off the top of my head. Katie Cassidy. That's right. And Who is just not good at anything she does. <sighs> but the CW, like, has her under contract. I don't know. Where she knows where bodies are buried or something. I don't know. I went uh, last week I went to television without pity just because before recording this I really wanted to gauge a lot of the dialogue going on around this and I mean nobody likes her nobody 
everybody agrees there's she's the black hole of chemistry for the show and you know she obviously hasn't worked out and possibly the actress herself isn't happy because she was probably promised um being um black black canary and being the main love interest and because of how badly her character worked out within the show like thus has been taken away from her more or less and it's not like they can fix it because she doesn't have character with Stephen Amell, chemistry with Stephen Amell. How I don't know. The writing for the character was bad from the start, and it's kind of unfixable now. <laughs> and they're giving her this new, more in-depth character arc this season, but at this point, it's just a drag on the show. Mm. Let's get rid of her and just keep the brilliant Paul Blackthorne. <laughs> yeah, that's the Lance everybody cares about. <laughs> I'm glad he's got work. He was the only thing that was watchable at the, about the Dresden Files TV show. It's fantastic. He made Dresden Files for me. I loved it. He is Harry Dresden, but that show is not the Dresden Files. No, it was. I read the book afterwards. I was like, wow, that show really wasn't it. <laughs> That's what I heard. But he was amazing. Uh. <sighs> Do we have a Hannibal premiere date? Nope. Not yet. But we're anticipating April or some sometime, right? Yeah. We've been teased, though, with season two. We've been teased scenes. with all sorts of things. Kaylee? Oh. <laughs> how did you feel about some of the photographs you have seen? I, I reiterate my point that Brian Fuller is Santa Claus. Basically. For those of you who don't know, for their Halloween set party, Brian Fuller dressed up as Hannibal. <laughs> and Marfa yep. de Laurentiis dressed up as Alana <laughs> and there are yeah, pictures it's... of them all together and it's adorable yep it... and there are pictures of uh... Mads Mikkelsen in a swimsuit <gasps> oh well, first, first there was a picture of the swimsuit and the internet the went phrase, you're welcome <laughs> and the internet went Papa Fuller <laughs> really? is that for us? <laughs> And we were then given a picture of him in his in the swimsuit. Swim it's at a it's at a sp- specific angle where you don't see everything. But luckily, we have gifts of many other films he's been in. The Danish are not shy about nudity in films. No. I'd like to point out there have been no pictures of Will Graham looking happy. <laughs> I know. No. I don't think we've even I... seen a picture of a dog yet. <laughs> I don't think so. But we did get a picture of Brian Fuller's craft tables. He has bought um, uh, things to make his own flower crowns. And he made yeah, his own one. And we have seen Amanda Plummer wearing it, who's going to be a guest star. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, the one he was given at, uh, at Comic-Con wore out. And he... I love that he wore out a flower crown from having it worn too much. I like to think that during like breaks in the set, he has everyone sitting around that craft table making like butterfly-filled flower crowns. I hope so. Add more butterflies to that, Matt. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is kind of Brian Fuller is a really good segue, general into behind-the-scenes people, so creators on social media, because what Sleepy Hollow writers and elementary writers have been doing with Twitter. <laughs> these past couple few weeks slash months is kind of brilliant. It's probably the be- best marketing I've seen in a while. Yeah. 
it's it's like they've engaged all of these writers and they're from different um networks all of these shows are kind of engaging with each other there's this big twitter war between um it was element was it sleepy hollow and elementary or was it elementary and hannibal it's elementary and sleepy hollow elementary sleepy yeah. hollow no, it was elementary and sleepy hollow they well we have a headless horseman yeah well we've got a turtle and socks and then csi joined in as well yeah and then every so often, all of the NBC tumblers will just sort of start snarking at each other. Oh my god, it was amazing. They all basically had a Tumblr GIF party. Although the best one for me was still where somebody incited a Tumblr GIF war between Raul Esparza's two TV shows of yeah. Law and Order Special Videos <laughs> Unit and Hannibal and said, which one of you has got the best GIFs? And they went full out war for it. And I was like, kudos on a many, many levels there. And he's going to be in season two of Hannibal. Yep. Without the facial hair, I've noticed. He gets less and less facial hair as the shows go on. <laughs> I think, I mean, they all realise that social media is something that they have to, they have to do. Mm-hmm. And with the way that Tumblr works, you're more likely to get a good rep and people watching and paying attention if you build up that sort of interaction with them. And I think there's something about the fact that it's, well, I would say that it, it, there's something about the neutrality of the fan fans are interacting with this TV show Tumblr because it's not the cast but now that we've had Orlando Jones breaking the fourth wall there mm. I don't think that really applies Yeah, <laughs> but I love that they're clearly having fun with it mm-hmm. and they know how to do it they know how to Tumblr I think it's also what's really nice is I remember certain shows in the past and when when fans feel that there's a disinterest from the creators, that they're really just doing it by road, they're not really that engaged with the show. But with these new, you know, the Tumblr and the Twitter with the writers doing it, I think as a fan, you kind of feel like, oh, they actually do really love the work they're doing. I think that just makes it, you appreciate the show a little more. Yeah. Yeah, I did get that nice. with Hannibal. Yeah. I mean, you nice can tell those see. people like working for them. They're clearly yeah. like their jobs. I like that. Yeah. And I think the the key I, w- I was thinking about this this afternoon that the key to interacting with the fans is first off not everyone can do what Orlando does. It just no. it, you mm. can't do it. If you can't do it, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't Looking at you, Bob Borsi. Into... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You shouldn't wade into the fanfic and the criticisms of the show if you can't take it on that terms and understand that people are going to enjoy your show in their own way and not necessarily in the way that you want them to. Um, But responding to questions and giving little tidbits of information and stuff like that really just adds another level to enjoying the show. I mean, you can enjoy the show without it, obviously. Um, Because there are plenty of people who I know are watching Hannibal for the first time right now, and they're not getting the benefit of Fuller going, okay, so this piece of music is this, and we got the idea from this, and this is where we got the inspiration from the thing from. Um, But where was I going with this? I mean, understanding that that fandom, in, 
fandom talks about your show because they actually care about your show, mm-hmm. even if they don't love everything you do with your show. I continue it's... to be surprised by the sheer number of people, and unfortunately, including several showrunners who don't get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> Moffat. But geez, something for that cough there, Raiden. <laughs> no, I'm good. <laughs> Um, I think I've recently seen a quote uh, by George Martin where he was talking about, uh, you know, the when the books were first released and finding some of the early websites and he didn't care that it was like he was like, people care this much. Like, that's how much they'll read between the lines. And he seemed to get that it didn't matter if they, they criticized something because he just saw like the sheer amount of time they were spending on his work. Mm-hmm. And that's that's ultimately a positive and if if the fact that people are doing that bothers you a lot then you need you need to walk away and just make your show uh-huh. and let the fans be the fans and if you really do desperately feel the need to wade into fandom follow the Orlando Jones model Mm-hmm. And just go in wholeheartedly. Don't take your fandom for granted. Don't screw them around as the butt of a joke. I'm going back to Moffat here, but has anyone seen Sherlock season free advert? Where it's a bunch of Sherlock stands sitting around, like waiting for hashtags to find out he's alive, and they basically he has characterized him as the you know the biggest stereotype you think of when you think of fans. And I'm insulted on their behalf. I don't feel pity for that fandom well mm-hmm. I think the, I mean the, and we've talked about this example a lot but Aaron Sorkin and television without pity and you know the internet episode of the West Wing yeah. don't be that don't yeah, be don't, that don't be the old man yelling at a cloud <laughs> which is basically the perfect description of Aaron Sorkin mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think were the, did we remember all the it. shows I think so. Oh, um, so. last kind of bits. These aren't the shows, just bits of news um, in this in, in the television um, sphere is that the Veronica Mars movie now has a trailer. Uh, and I got my T-shirt. <laughs> and uh, then I, we should mention the Netflix Disney contract because that was big news. So with the popularity of House of Cards, right? Um, House of Cards, it's amazing. And when we do our political shows episode, I don't have things to say. (laughs) (laughs) But Disney has made uh, a deal with Netflix. And I wonder if this is kind of their saying like, okay, maybe if we didn't succeed with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., we can do this. In that they're now going to develop four Marvel properties into 13 episode um, seasons. Netflix originals. (sighs) And I'm saying this and like, you know what? I really should just say the exact characters they're doing. Right? Uh, Luke Lucas Luke Cage is one of them. Oh, am I saying that right? I really it's shouldn't Luke embarrass Cage. I shouldn't embarrass mm-hmm. myself. Fakey girl. <laughs> I know. Constant vigilance. <laughs> um, it's Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Iron Fist, and Luke Cage. Yeah. So, you know right. the sheer amount of diversity just in that news. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I'm supposing this, well, this means, of course, Daredevil will not be getting, it reverted, right? So it won't get another movie. Um, not Probably the worst the idea, though. 
And, you know, I've always thought they should really have... You know what Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. needs? It needs S.H.I.E.L.D. Hulk. It needs the lawyer superhero, if it's going to be like a crime procedural. Hello. And Daredevil can actually be that. Somewhere out there must be a petition to have Isaiah Mustafa be Luke Cage. He has said that he wants to do the role, so... Exactly why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I've seen comments that he's too old. Boo. Bullshit. No such thing. Well, none of us knew that Mina One was 50, so I'm going to say. <laughs> and yet, I'm still going to have to wait until I'm 74 to get a Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, no kidding. Pretty much. So, this has been episode 14. Oh my god, we're, <laughs> we're a toddler now. <laughs> of Anglophies. And I believe next month we have our romance novels. Yep. Be talking about romance, and we will be joined by Sarah Wendell of Smart Bitches. And Raiden and I have made Kaylee read books. <laughs> I have been doing my homework like a good person. <laughs> <laughs> and she hasn't even hated it. No, I'm genuinely really liking it. That's good. Sound too I bought Kaylee a good YA novel for a change. <laughs> I, I've got a lot to get through, so. When I'm off sick tomorrow and probably Thursday, I'll get onto them. So we will see you next month. Bye. Bye bye. Bye, everybody. Bye. You have been listening to Anglophies, a Made of Fail production.